Welcome to Community Coded, the ultimate podcast series for founders, VCs, and builders who master the art of community building. This podcast is brought to you by Threado, a community management platform that lets you drive more engagement, identify brand champions, and scale a thriving community with automated workflows and personalized messages. We're so proud to say that we serve fast-growing community-led startups like Notion, Mixpanel, Triple Whale, and more. What are you waiting for? Hit threader.com and up your community game. Now, let's talk about this podcast. Join us as we dive deep into the world of community building with some of the biggest names in the industry. Let's decode what it takes to build a thriving community. What's up, what's up, community builders? Welcome to yet another episode of the Community Decoded podcast. I'm your host, Sharath. I completely re- recovered from my cold and cough. Now you can hear my actual voice. In the last two episodes, I was I was having this bass voice, which is dominating. So I'm back with normal voice. But today I'm excited to bring Kyle from Morning Brew. Kyle, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? I'm I'm feeling great. Glad to be here. Yeah, Kyle Hagee, Director of Community at Morning Brew. And I don't have a cold. So if you don't like my voice, that's just my <laughs> voice. I'm sorry to say. You'll have to deal with it for for the episode. No, you have a beautiful voice. So oh, thank you, all, man. There we go. Oh, you, you know how to warm up the guest. <laughs> well, you know, we do. We have to. Uh, been like doing this for almost like an year. Uh, so for folks who don't know about Kyle Haggy, let me actually give you like a brief intro. Kyle is a community builder. He's a coach. He's a founder. And he's also a podcaster, which I'm very, very excited to like unpack about his podcasting. He's currently the director of community at Morning Brew, a modern media company that covers news from Wall Street to Silicon Valley. I'm a big, big, big fan of Morning Brew. Uh, I've been like uh, following you guys for like, what, three, four years Uh, since since like before pandemic, during pandemic, you know, folks like Alex Silverman, Austin Reef, like Toby, you guys are like pretty much are everywhere. Like, you know, (laughs) Dan, Dan, Toby. Oh, Dan Toomey's fantastic. The three others you mentioned are also fantastic. And and let me just say, like, the people that work at Morning Brew are maybe the best part of the job. Like, I think we have incredibly mm-hmm. dynamic, ambitious, and kind people at the company. And mm-hmm. I, I feel blessed, truly, like, every day just to work with these people. And we definitely have people that understand how to uh, get, <laughs> get in the news and yeah. uh, really understand social platforms. Uh, which right. is quite exciting. And uh, yeah, it's a really, really great company. So thanks for uh, the support for all these years. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I I don't know how many times I remember like, you know, suggesting morning brew social strategy, you know, to other founders who I met, like for founders who struggle to like build their social presence. I'm like, these guys are killing it all the time. Just follow their playbook. They're absolutely on top of everything, every trend, every new segment, like, you know, uh, but I'm so glad to hear before before recording, I was, you know, kind of like you're, you're, you're sharing the thing you do at Morning Brew, which is Morning Brew learning, right? Like I want to, I want to like, you know, also mention about Kyle leads everything, uh, the courses that Morning Brew builds and the community around it, which I'm very excited to unpack. But right off the bat, I have this question. How did you end up in the community space? What was like your uh, story? You know, I would love to learn about the inception, like, you know, where did you first encounter 
community as a space and you actually have like a career in it like when did that spark came to your mind yeah it's a, it's a great question yeah I'll, i'll answer this by giving some background so uh i'm originally from minnesota i live in new york now and uh maybe the community building journey started because I was an only child. So I was like, look, I got to mm-hmm. build, I got to find some <laughs> friends here. I'm playing Xbox alone. And so, um, right. I, I think that gave me, a, uh, maybe a unique perspective. If, if anyone else is that's listening is an right. only child, like you do really have to find your tribe because you don't have that sure. built in. And so growing up, you know, I don't think I was ever like, Oh, I have a great set of communities, but it is what I had. I, I played a lot of sports. Basketball was my main sport. I was also really involved mm. with Amnesty Amnesty International uh, mm-hmm. in high school. I was involved in a lot of political campaigns in college. And mm. I realized just the power of you know bringing people together. It's not breaking news. We've been doing it since the dawn of time. So I'm not a genius here. It's just like, wow, uh, mm-hmm. pursuing a shared goal or shared mission with other people that are there to support you is really how anything gets done. Then right. I graduated from University of Minnesota and I actually did AmeriCorps. Uh, so mm-hmm. for those unfamiliar, it's basically like the Peace Corps, but domestic. And mm-hmm. I worked with this nonprofit organization called College Possible in Milwaukee. So mm-hmm. I moved to Wisconsin and mm-hmm. College Possible, their whole goal is to help uh, first generation low income students get to and through college. And I was mm-hmm. teaching these students after school their junior year and their senior year. And what I realized there is like, one, you are never going to teach someone anything if they don't trust you, if they don't Mm. like you or you don't have a relationship with them. Think of any political disagreements you've been around. You really only listen to people that you're like, hey, they're they're arguing in good faith. They have good intentions. I know them as a person. I'm going to hear them out. And so where a lot of coaches focused first on like content, 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 we have to learn a Mm. triangle. I spent a lot of time just getting to know every single student in the, in the classroom, mm-hmm. really making sure that they knew that I had their best interests at heart. They could trust me. And so building that mm-hmm. community before you have to teach helped me, I think, be one of the best performing coaches because the students really liked me, I, I, I believe, and they also respected me and they knew I was looking out for them. So building that community taught me that if you have a community, you can really accelerate uh, individual growth. Then from there, I went to Marquette University and I got my master's in political science. And this is when I really took, I would say, a very experimental phase of my career. I was doing so much. Actually, looking back and I was like, I must have been hopped up on caffeine just like 24-7. <laughs> I was working for the housing authority for the city of Milwaukee. I started my own podcast cool. on community building in Milwaukee called Bridge the City, where we interviewed right. community yep. leaders, may- the mayor, activists, business leaders. Hmm and try to find form a community around that podcast. And we kept it very niche. We didn't have any like national guests on. It was only Milwaukee specific. We really Mm -hmm. built a community of people that cared about the city and that wanted tangible action steps on how they could make an impact in their own community that we all called home, which was Milwaukee. Mm. Uh, And then I was working for some civic tech company freelance called ballot ready. Uh, and so I was really experimenting with a lot of different things. So if, if, if you're a generalist or you want to talk about that later in the show, I'm happy to talk about that. Yeah, then after that, uh, I graduated from Marquette and mm-hmm. the cool thing about side hustles as as you know, Shrath is like, you start doing something you don't, maybe don't know where it's going to lead, but it is kind of right. a magnet. So my other advice to people listening is like a side hustle doesn't have to end in a successful exit. It doesn't have to like blow up but really what you're doing is you're creating a magnet where people that are interested in what you're interested can find you and you can connect and build community around that so because i was doing this podcast 
Marquette was very aware of it. It was kind of big in Milwaukee and mm -hmm. there they were hiring an innovator in residence. This is someone that mm -hmm. comes to campus. They're retired. They're an alum and they're going to kind of talk about innovation, give back to the students, do some mm -hmm. curriculum and content. And this innovator in residence wanted to start a podcast. So they connected us. So at this point, I got the best cold email of my life, which was actually from wow. this guy named Chuck Swoboda, uh, mm -hmm. a mentor, a friend, and, and someone I really look up to. And he emailed me and he was like, hey, I, I know you're running this podcast called Bridge to City. I'm going to be Marquette's new innovator in residence. I want to launch a podcast. Oh, and by the way, I was CEO of Cree, a publicly traded billion dollar company, uh, mm. like 1.6 billion in revenue for 16 years. Well, I heard 1.6 billion and I was like, yeah, I'll get coffee with you, Chuck. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry about it. So I, 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 I went and right. met Chuck. I loved his vision for the show where we'd interview other entrepreneurs and, and, and innovators right. and really kind of get to like, what actually is innovation and what is mm. like the buzzword we all think we know, but it doesn't actually work. And Chuck has seen it work at scale for his whole mm. career. So that was a, a huge opportunity for me. I ran that podcast. We, he was writing a book. We did some writing for Forbes. We did a bunch of speaking engagements. Uh, mm -hmm. And I ran that with him for about a year and a half, close to two years. And I learned more about Whoa. business in those two years than, than ever. And it, it truly did change the trajectory of my career and, mm. and quite honestly of my life. And I, I'm really grateful for Chuck and Marquette for that opportunity. But again, just going back, like, that opportunity never would have arisen if I didn't mm. just start this random podcast yeah. with a friend with really no goal in mind. So it is the beauty of putting yourself out there, creating side right. hustles and, and kind of creating that magnet that I'm talking about. Mm. Um, so I, I did that for uh, two years. Uh, while I was actually at Marquette, I was part, part of this community called Trinity Fellows as well. And I really saw the power of bringing diverse backgrounds together. There was 15 mm -hmm. of us from all across the country who had all done Peace Corps, AmeriCorps, or something similar. So that was a, a really great learning as well. And then mm -hmm. I was kind of ready for my next adventure. Morning Brew was starting this new business unit that became Morning Brew Learning and mm. took a shot and, and super grateful for Morning Brew for giving me the opportunity there. And, 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 and that's where I've been for the past two and a half years. Wow. What a, you, you literally like, you know, went on a ride and <laughs> that was awesome. That was like, so I have like so many talking points. I just like, you know, note down. Uh, yeah, let's go. The first, thing, the first thing I think I got very fascinated about what you said is, you know, building a community, not community is a big word per se, but building a tribe. That's what you mentioned in your answer. Yep. Right from your childhood, right? Like there is, so you kind of built or attracted people out of necessity. It's not like a passion or anything. Since you're the only child, you have to do it. Like you have to find friends. You have to find, you know, bring these, you know, people together to like spend with and whatnot. So I think that's, that to me is like very foundational in your journey, right? Like, uh, and whenever I talk to like people who are struggling about community building, I always point them to like, go back to your childhood days, go back to mm -hmm. your, like, you know, the early days of your consciousness like where are you finding people together like is there a way can you connect those dots if you have like one percent of that edge you're a community builder don't worry about yeah. the other logistics the goals the metrics the okrs those are all separate but if you have a, a community building dna in you and you can find that that's it start from there and i'm so glad you have that right from the beginning so one of the things yeah. you mentioned I love about, uh, I loved about 
what you said about coaching right like teaching you yep. know getting to know them more is really important than pushing the content or pushing an agenda or pushing something that hey you have to learn this in so when did you realize that what was like your realization did you try it the other way and failed and then you tried okay let me actually step back <laughs> let me learn about these students first and then is that like a method of yours? yeah it's 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 a great question and i don't have a particularly good answer of like why i i think it just felt intuitive to me so maybe i was lucky in that case where like i just mm-hmm. i i just thought about teachers that really impacted me and coaches mm-hmm. that really a- impacted me and i asked myself like what did i like about them And it oftentimes was that they took a vested interest in who I was as a person. And I was convinced that our goals were aligned, that they wanted me to grow. And Mm. obviously I wanted myself to grow, but the coaches or the teachers that never really resonated were like the ones that it didn't seem like they cared about you. And and again, like you're really only going to take advice from someone you think has your best interest in, in heart. So I really started with that strategy. I think it really, really paid off. And you know, maybe people listening are familiar with the radical candor framework, or Mm -hmm. it's a great book by Kim Scott. And it's definitely like a super thought leadery book, but it's actually damn good. And Mm. some things are popular because they're just good. And, (laughs) and and this is one where if you want to have hard conversations with someone, which when you're talking to high schoolers Mm -hmm. after school that don't want to be there, no one is like, dude, Kyle, I am so excited to learn about the (laughs) ACT said no one ever. So, you know, but you're going to have to have those conversations. But again, if you want to be direct, you need to Mm. show that you care personally. That puts you in the upper right quadrant of this framework, which is radical candor. So in order for Mm. me to have the necessary tough conversations with students to help them achieve their full potential and and really live the life they want to live going forward or getting into college or whatever it might be, I have to demonstrate that I care personally. Or if you just Mm. go directly to brutal truth. A lot of Mm. people are going to be like, hey, fuck you. Like, who is this guy? You don't know anything about me. So it just doesn't work unless you have some sort of relationship with the people. So, again, I I focused a lot on that. And then after that, we were able to have really difficult conversations, which is ultimately, I think, how you're going to move anything forward personally, Mm -hmm. professionally and with others is saying Mm -hmm. the things that need to be said, but knowing Mm -hmm. that you have best interest at heart. I love that. I love that. I want to come back to that coaching bit uh you know in later in the episode but i also want to ask you one thing bridge the city right that's a podcast you started in in milwaukee uh there is there is for some reason there is a lot of uh i don't know it's if you put like a venn diagram startups tech in one circle uh, especially on a community putting that community building lens right startups tech company building on one circle in politics on the other circle there is a common element in these both like behemoth industries right like community comes to the center how much when you're interviewing these you know political leaders community builders like who has that grassroots experience of door-to-door you know campaigning type of a people what do you learn from them about community building that you can actually apply for apply in, in later in your career, which you're doing, I'm assuming for startups in tech. It, this is such a great question. I, I would say if, if anyone's listening that hasn't had any sort of political experience, I think that 
you know, it's it's no like breaking news that people have uh, probably a low regard, <laughs> low regard across the aisle for politicians. Politics has kind of become this this negative word, which actually, quite honestly, yeah. makes me pretty sad. I mm. think that some, you know, like politics at, at its core to me is like getting people together, deciding what's important, building bridges and trying mm-hmm. to turn this idea into reality that makes life better for a set or as many people as possible. And and I get why people are kind of turned away by that. But like, look, right. nothing is going to change unless you get involved and you approach right. it differently. So what you can learn from the best political leaders, I think, is maybe two things. The first is the best ones do have this like grassroots approach. It mm-hmm. is hard doing political campaigns. I was knocking on doors of yep. people. I would not know who was going to open the door. I didn't know what their political affiliations were. And you have right. to have a civil conversation Right. with them with, without knowing you know already where they stand and so mm. getting reps in of talking to different people that have different perspectives is wildly mm. important and it 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 shows you the mosaic of america we are actually much much more than just two political camps or three political mm-hmm. camps or whatever mm-hmm. everyone has really interesting ideas they don't fit in a box and, and the more you put them in a box i think the less constructive conversations are so that was a great experience the second thing is to get anything done, you need coalitions. It's mm. the same element of community building. You need to bring people together and how you form coalitions is, hey, forget everything that we're different mm-hmm. on. Right now, we're here to solve this particular problem. Like ask yourself, mm-hmm. what is your community trying to solve? Really mm-hmm. focus on that and build bridges with other people and keep mm. that outcome top of mind. Whatever your community mm-hmm. is trying to do, whatever your campaign is trying to do, that's the focus. It's like mm-hmm. a big tent strategy where we're bringing anyone that cares about this issue and we're going to try to get it across the finish line and then you mm-hmm. repeat. So uh, the grassroots, like door knocking, understanding different perspectives, very important. And then mm-hmm. keeping that outcome uh, top of mind and, and navigating through differences you might have on the margins is, is very important. I love that. And what are some things that you avoided? Like, you know, uh, the political side, like, okay, this I shouldn't do when I actually <laughs> build a community eventually. Yeah, I, I, this goes back to the same exact strategy I, I use with students. And that is, again, people are very unlikely to change their minds if they don't trust or respect you. And so I think mm-hmm. oftentimes we put the cart before the horse and we're like, hey, you think X, this doesn't need to be political. It could be anything. Hey, you think X, X is wrong. Here, Here's why, Y is right. If mm-hmm. you just start your conversation with that, I've never been like some random person came up to me told me I was wrong and this is right. And then I changed my mind. That doesn't happen. What happens is it's very gradual. You come to respect someone. You understand their intentions. You understand why an issue matters to them. They articulate more details you've never heard about. And slowly your opinion might Mm -hmm. change and might shift. And so for community builders, like forming those relationships before you really start helping people get to their goal or telling Mm -hmm. them what to do is so important. Um, and, and I think that was, you know, a, a big lesson I've seen throughout my career. And I think uh, some of the politicians, they genuinely put community in front of them and, you know, the party values in front of them instead of their own motives, like personal individual motives. Right. Yeah. And I feel that's something I kind of grasped from, like, take Obama as an example. Right. Like mm-hmm. when he ran for president in the, the two terms. I think in his this, his style is more about people, less about him, and I think that's something that 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 applies generally for community builders. Like it, if you're building a community for your product at the startup, 
it's not about your startup and your product it's about bringing them solving their problems and learning for them how you can like you know contribute in their like you know workflow whatever uh, it is i i love this and i and i do have something just to add to that point because i think it's a really great point is as a community builder you're not the star which is basically what you're saying you're not the star you're the architect so right. if we want to go into a metaphor as a community builder you're the architect of a building and mm -hmm. what you're trying to do is create a building where it's very clear why people are there. You, you create mm -hmm. a sports stadium. When you walk in, you know what you're doing. So when people walk into your community, they should know why they are gathering. The second mm -hmm. thing is you're creating wayfinding. If I want to find mm -hmm. the restroom in a building, you, mm -hmm. you got to have signs that make it so easy, so frictionless to get to where you want to go inside of the community. The same applies for digital communities. When people mm -hmm. enter your community, is it clear where they go for a template, for a resource, for a DM, for a coffee chat? Right. You want to make those clear and you want to make that as frictionless as possible. And so you really, you're not the star of the show. You're creating the environment yep. where other people can enter that environment and achieve what they want to achieve. Not, you know, have everyone love you or like you yep. be the star of the show. You want it to be decentralized and the best communities are emergent properties. They're going to take mm. uh, the like characteristics of those that are in the community. It's not really a top down approach. So once you mm. create the building, you make it clear where people need to go. You let them kind of work their way throughout the, without, throughout the building and have the experience they really want to have. And so that's my other advice is like, if you're a community builder, really focus on like the guardrails, kind of creating the mm. environment uh, and not so much as being front and center all the time. Yeah, I love I love that analogy too. Like you know, metaphorically speaking, you kind of like you're the director of a you know, and you have to make people stars, not you. Yeah, you're, you take the back seat and let them like shine, right? I 100%. love that. I think I also want to touch upon one of the things you mentioned before is side projects, right? It's because you started a show before Bridge the Water, you opened up a gate for yourself, you know uh innovators on tap i feel like and how much of because i can relate to that completely the last like 2019 2020 2020 2021 i was like left right center building these side projects <laughs> and so many things happened because of those little things which i posted on product hunt for example i got i got a chance to work at product hunt because i actually was shipping so much on product very hunt. cool so i think you create this serendipity for yourself and you unlock these opportunities by doing and putting yourself out. That's exactly, I think, a great way to uh, put it. But how much of that effort that you still believe that, you know, contributed in, in, in your current life? Like, what is like the maximum impact that you can, you know, recall? Yeah, I mean, I, I think your, your point about serendipity is so well said. I think serendipity is probably one of the most powerful things that you can introduce to your to your life mm -hmm. if you want something to change you're likely to have to have some luck involved mm -hmm. and serendipity is that secret sauce to changing your life and mm -hmm. I, I think about this in two ways there's like network serendipity and there's side hustle serendipity network yep. serendipity is like hey you just want to meet as many people as possible um, if you're in New York, for example, like maybe it's a little easy cause there's 8 million of us, but now with digital tools, like it, yeah. you can meet anyone, you can send emails right. to authors. I've done this a bunch. You, you'd be wild to know how many people actually respond to a thoughtful email or a thoughtful Absolutely. DM. Yeah. And if you're in a smaller city, like I was in Milwaukee, 
it's actually quite easy. You're like a, a, a medium fish in a small pond and you can actually meet pretty much everyone in the city. Right. So right. expanding your network uh, is, is super, super important because you just never know where one of those conversations, one of those connections is going to lead. And you never know how you might be helpful to someone else, which is one of the most mm -hmm. rewarding things in life. The second is side hustle serendipity, where it's your exact example on product hunt, where you're actually creating something that you're passionate about. Mm -hmm. It's not your full-time job, but you're putting it out into the world. And this is that mm -hmm. magnet effect where I was right. making a podcast. Someone knew they needed to hire someone to make them a podcast. And because I was top of mind, because I was shipping episodes every week, they were like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. We only right. have a finite amount of time and people take right. shortcuts. Some of those shortcuts are bad. There's tons of bias and I'm totally aware of that. But at the mm. end of the day, if you need to hire someone for strategy and ops, you're going to think like, who do I know that's doing cool things in strategy and ops? And so the more you can put yourself out there, you're just increasing the chance that you have a serendipitous, lucky experience that does change mm. the trajectory of your career. And there's no way to know when it's going to happen, but it's like sales. It's shots on goal. It might be 1%. It might be less than 1%. But if you do it 100 times, odds are one is going to hit and it is going to change. If you don't create serendipity, you very limit the options you have going forward in your life. So I, I think serendipity is very important and I don't have a counterfactual. I can't run an experiment where I didn't make Bridge the City and see where I end up. But 100 percent, my life would be radically different if I didn't start that podcast. I love that. I, I think uh, I love the way you kind of you know, divided serendipity into two moments, like building a network and building like these projects, which will both of both of them really help, right? Like you don't know, you never know who will knock on your door. The people you met like four or five years ago. And exactly. Created like subtle value to them in that particular 10 minute conversation. You never know. It's all and, like, and, you know, you, you leave it out to the universe. And, and let me add one thing, because uh, I love what you're doing with this podcast. And I, and I think podcasts have also gotten this like negative reputation where it's like do we need another podcast when it, when anyone like a friend was like i'm gonna write a book i've never been like do we need another book have you been yeah. to barnes and noble there's so many books like yeah. i i don't understand like people think that every podcast you're gonna make has to be this massive thing and do we need another podcast it's like the podcast just might not be for you and mm. podcasts are very hard to blow up discoverability mm. is a big issue there is a lot of them out there but reframe why you do a podcast. For me, why I did Bridge the City was it allowed me to connect with other people that cared mm. about the same things I did. And there was so many cool stuff, things we did in the community based on those conversations. Like now mm. I know who you are, you know who I am through a conversation and it's brought us closer together. And I think that's yeah. the real magic of podcasts. It doesn't matter how many listeners you have, unless you're like yep. a giant media company that's trying to monetize, but it really doesn't matter how many listeners you have. It really yeah. matters about the quality of conversation you have with the guests standing right next to you. It's kind of like uh, the first date. It's like a very exciting time. You're getting to know other people. Exactly. And that is also beautiful. So if you have a podcast, you're going to build, it, it's basically a way to increase network serendipity. And it doesn't matter mm -hmm. how many people listen. So that isn't just a, a another thing I want to say. Like, if you want to start a podcast, if you want to write a book, if you want to make a TikTok, it's never too late. It doesn't right. matter how many other people are doing it because you will unlock so many benefits just by starting. It doesn't really matter the size of your audience. And yeah, I want to add on top of what you said, which is absolutely true, is that uh, like every individual human being is different in their own way, right? Like, like there are a million podcasts about business, but mm -hmm. or like a million podcasts about 
you know interviewing innovators for example but yep. tim ferris stands out because his he it's it's not because he's tim ferris it's because he brings certain flavor to that conversation that's it yes and he did it like what 5000 times and he became yeah, I mean, like tim ferris it's right? crazy yeah yeah and and to anyone making a podcast like you're not going to become Tim Ferriss. It's just like, right. you're not, but you're going to become you and you're going to meet a ton of interesting people. And, and for any of my millennials, I watch coach Carter. It's a great movie back in the day. Yeah. Uh, there, there's I a quote in there that I, I, I love, which they're like, one of the players are like, Hey, how do you feel about being the next LeBron James? And he says, I'm not the next LeBron James. I'm the first Ty crane. And that's how mm. you should view your career. You don't need to be the next Mark Zuckerberg or Sheryl Sandberg or, you know, anyone, yeah. you just be the first you, but, but don't leave some effort on the sideline. Cause you're scared. You're never going to become Tim Ferriss. You're not period end of story, but you're going to become a better version of you. So go and do it. It's going to unlock yeah. some amazing things. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think I, I, I want to ask this question, but I'll probably like, you know, uh, I'll ask it anyway. Yeah. Do you miss podcasting because you're so Dude. busy? Doing yes. the courses, you're so busy, like you know, building other things. And I think after those two shows you did, what 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 are you like craving for right now? I'm um, I'm having some podcast withdrawals, but I love being guests. And and I will say, uh, Morning Brew has a new ish show. I think they've done about 110 episodes or so called Morning Brew Daily. It comes out every day at 7 a.m. Little plug for y'all. Uh, it's hosted by Neil and Toby, who are two yep. you know, fantastic yeah. people. But when one of them is gone, sometimes I get to fill in. So that's giving me like a hit every now and then on that show of podcasting. Uh, I love doing it. I I read a bunch. So I love talking about the news and I love the format. So I'm getting a a, a little bit of it, uh, but I I, I think I will create a podcast myself or or with a company eventually again, but uh, not right now. Can can't wait. Can't wait. I would love to like be the first one to like, you know, subscribe and blow the shit out of that podcast <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna hold you to that i'll reach out when it when it drops so let's switch gears a little bit about talk uh, let's talk about morning brew right yes there are a, there are a million things morning brew does there is morning brew accelerator there are like tons of programs like what you said the learning you know division itself talks about yep. a lot about business strategy you know various things there is a podcast. There is like a ton of newsletters. How, what is it like to, for you guys, not particularly to you, but as a company and you being the director of community, what is it like to build a community for a media empire, right? Like it's a modern media empire, in my opinion. It's like the next New York Times. It's like the next CNN because it has so many uh, elements to it. And eventually in the next 10 years, probably, you know, millennials and like the rest of the folks, Gen Z, whoever it is, the next generation will actually consume content from Morning Brew. That's what I predict. They they consume less from these traditional CNN type channels. Yep. And what is it like building a community for, 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 for a media empire versus like, you know, what you did in the past? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I will say we're not the next CNN. We're the first morning brew to go back to that. But, uh, I, I appreciate the compliments. Uh, look, I, you know, I, I'm not going to gas myself up here. Let's be realistic. I've joined I joined morning brew two and a half years ago. The company has been in existence maybe eight or nine years. Mm-hmm. And I, I came in post acquisition. So they sold a decent chunk of the company. Um, and so, you know, like that team figured it out and, and, and they're incredible. And I was fortunate enough to join 
this company and they already had a lot of success. And so I'm really grateful for that opportunity. So that, mm -hmm. that kudos does not belong to me. That belongs to everyone that came well before me and, and built the brand of morning brew that we all know and love now, right. you know, in, in terms of what I have seen at morning brew in my role, director of community, we have an incredible general manager. Her name is Karen Heber Macaro. She's the former CEO of executive education at Babson. She's running morning brew learning. And, you know, it, I'll give you a, a high level answer and then a specific answer at a high level. Morning Brew does, to your point, have a ton of different products. We have, mm -hmm. God knows, like 30 newsletters now. I think it's probably <laughs> not 30. It was like maybe 15. Yeah. Uh, we have social. We have video. We have podcasts. We have Morning Brew learning. We have branded content. So there is a lot going on. And right. that presents opportunity, but it also presents challenge. I think this mm -hmm. is the classic story of scaling any startup. At first, right. you're focused. You're doing one product. They only did the newsletter for, I think, about four years. That's it. Right. They were adamant. We're not doing anything else. We're shipping the best newsletter every single day, and we're not going to stop until we really find PMF and blow this thing up. So right. focus is very important. As you start to scale, focus becomes a lot harder, right? Mm -hmm. Like now, oh, we have, we're doing a bunch of things, and other divisions are making money, so maybe maybe I'm good. Even if my division doesn't make a lot of money, cause like the company will, you know, move some money around and like you kind of can lose a sense right. of focus and lose a sense of urgency. Absolutely. So I think any company that's scaling, going from a single product to multi-product to media quote unquote empire, the key is focus and you have to have the right butts and seats. You have to have the right leaders and you, and each business unit has to view itself as its own business. Like startups within startups are really hard for the reasons I've alluded to. If you're not like, look, Yes, we're Morning Brew, but we're Morning Brew learning and we have to make this work. Morning Brew is not coming to save us. It's us that has to figure this out or we're out of here. That's the focus and urgency you have to have. It's really, really hard, but it's something we as a business unit focus on, I, I think, very well. There's always room for improvement and that's what we're trying to do. On the Morning Brew learning side, building the community has been one of the best experiences of my life. I've learned so much. So you mentioned the Morning Brew Accelerator. That was our first product we ever launched. It was about two years ago. It was an eight-week mini MBA type course. We put 150 people through that course. And it, it was a big success. They paid us money. I remember our first customer. It was like the happiest day of my life. Then we ran it again. We got 150 people in that cohort. It, it scored exceedingly well. And then Morning Brew's like, okay, we have something here. We're going to invest in this business unit. And we want you to build courses. I would say we're like a career concierge now. We have a lot more than courses for professionals, whatever you want to achieve in your career, we have a tool, a product, a course, or an experience that's going to help you get there. That's what we've been building. We've now graduated 3,000, over 3,000 professionals from all of our courses. Uh, I think we have a, an incredible, incredible alumni community that we continue to do events with and coffee chats, alumni directory, all that fun stuff. And really, we are constantly building new courses, new products that are going to help impact professionals help them achieve the goals they want to achieve like a new manager boot camp we just ran a couple of weeks ago we had 131 new managers going through that course i teach that course it's such a great experience it's so fun talking to new managers i've been managing people for about two years myself so like i would still say i'm pretty new so it's with like-minded people we're kind of going through this together we're providing incredible resources that to me is one of the most rewarding things you can do in life and i think stepping back again it's very interesting because Morning Brew, the newsletter, I would say has an audience. It's one to many, right? Like we send a newsletter, it goes to four and a half million people. 
and yeah, they can email us and there's definitely a community like on Twitter of people that love morning brew, but I would define that as an audience. What we're doing is we're creating experiences that are not one to many, but many to many, which is how I would define community or the best communities is not just them learning from us, but them learning from each other and us creating environments where they get to interact with other new managers themselves. They get to learn, share resources themselves. They're kind of part of the creation process. And to me, that is awesome because not only are they learning, but they're kind of empowered to be teachers themselves. Oh, Sharat, you're on mute right now. Man, sorry. Uh, <laughs> what I was telling is that's like the classic dish definition of you know community building, right? Like a lot many people kind of confuse themselves from audience building and community building. Uh, I think you you kind of like put a nail on the coffin by defining one to many, many to many. It's so yeah, it's so on point. Uh, and when you talk to me about especially morning brew learning, right? Like talk to me about your experience of building these courses. Do you involve people when you build a new course or you go with your gut, you test out like an MVP? So talk to me about like how much of community plays a role. So there is like two sets of, I want to see like, you know, how you think about it. There is a set of people who join these courses. They become alumni they do these sessions with you like fireside chats and et cetera, et cetera, for like future students. But when you design new programs, how much you involve, you know, the folks like alumni and yeah, make it like a tight program. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. So I'll give you two answers. The first is we do involve alumni in that process. Now they're not like, you know, coming to the morning brew office and like, you know, building slide decks for us, but Hey, they're our customers. They like mm -hmm. us. Why do they like us? Why did they purchase other courses and what would they like to see? One of the best parts of communities, particularly communities that you're like constantly shipping new products to is you can just go to your customers and say, hey, what do you want us to build next? And if a bunch of people tell you we want X, when you build X, you know there's customers waiting to purchase X. So it de-risks a lot of bringing a new product to market because you know there's already some pent up demand for it because you heard it from the community so we mm -hmm. definitely want to involve them we do survey the morning brew audience we've done that a few times about hey what courses are you interested in what experiences are you trying to have what skills do you want to build in your career so we do have some data like anything it's an art and a science i'm not going to say anything you know crazy here you got to go with your gut sometimes you got to listen to the mm -hmm. data but data is never perfect your gut is never perfect and the best way you can increase the chance of success is by shipping a lot of different experiments, understanding mm. how those experiments perform and doubling down on the ones that work. But I don't think anyone is Nostradamus and can predict perfectly how a exactly. course is going to go. So one of your benefits is just speed. Can you ship more than the other team and get mm -hmm. more products out there and actually get really, really substantive data to, to kind of decide? The other thing I will say about courses is there's a lot of competition. Uh, people, individuals are building courses. Companies mm -hmm. like us are building courses. And then obviously there's the major institutional ed tech players like the Harvard Business School that's building courses. So my, my, my two pieces of advice is one, understand why someone wouldn't pick your company. Like it, you right. can't be like, oh, we, we build something and everyone loves it. it mm -hmm. that, that's just very unlikely. So really being able to identify like why would you pick us and why wouldn't you? For Morning Brew Learning, we're fun. Like we mm. have the morning brew tone. We're smart. We're witty. We're irreverent. So we're fun and we don't shy away from that. If you want right. serious, stodgy, professorial learning, don't, don't come to us. You're not going to have a good experience. Go to the Harvard business school. If you want fun, relevant, modern learning, 
that's where we shine. Basically, the newsletter at Morning Brew is us telling you what happened yesterday. We are on top of the world in terms of mm. what is happening. We're able to take that same approach of like, okay, what are skills people need in 2023 today? And mm. so our courses are fun, but they're also hyper modern. And then the last thing we really focus on is applicability. We've gone, mm. I, I've taken courses at some of these uh, institutions I've named where like, you're like, mm -hmm. wow, the philosophy is really interesting here, but how do I apply that to my career? I think now more than ever, people have less time, they're overworked, they're overstretched. What they mm -hmm. want is something that instantly they can apply and see a difference in their career. So our courses are hella loaded with templates, <laughs> downloadables. Like if you take new manager right. bootcamp, you're going to walk out with like how to organize your calendar, how to set up a, a meeting, how to have mm -hmm. an effective one-on-one, -on -one, a post-mortem, an annual performance review, a mid-year check-in. We're giving you templates. We're telling you how to use them. So the next day you can go to your team. Hey, we have a new one-on-one -on -one template. Let's roll instantly applicable mm. learning. So really getting clear on what is the benefit your user wants to get from this course. And I will say this might be controversial in community circles. I don't think people often purchase a course because of community. Every data point we've mm. seen internally suggests that people buy courses for content, for skills, and for what I'm saying, applicability. They want something they can apply tomorrow. Why people might stay in our courses or retain is often the community because in post surveys, we often hear, I came for the content. I stayed for the community. That mm. is the unlock. But if you lead too much with community, people are like, okay, cool. I'm going to meet a bunch of people. But what am I actually going to learn? So understand mm. your customer, understand why you could acquire a customer and then understand how you retain them. They're two separate strategies. Wow. I like that. I think, uh, that's a very interesting viewpoint, right? I think a lot, many people, including myself, we try to acquire new community members or new people by, by showing that, hey, we have like a community as well, right? But I think you have to flip the switch and say, here's your clear-cut value prop. This is what yep. you're going to get in the first few weeks. It, I think it applies not just for courses, for pretty much everything, the community of practice, community of product, community of hobby, everything, you know, if they, if you attract for acquisition purposes, I think you should really rely on the value first, not sell. Hey, we have brands, you know, people <laughs> joining brands like Google and all not like to your point, it's true because what will I do? Like I meet like a couple of folks, probably a couple more folks in a week. And after that, what, right. But they, yeah, exactly. The I think it should be always community. Yeah, I think it's spot on. Like to give you just a concrete example, go back to your childhood. If you played sports, hmm. you weren't like, uh, I need some friends. So I'm just going to like go play basketball. That isn't really the thought. It's like, I love basketball. The value prop of basketball is I get to play basketball. And then you <laughs> form community through shared experiences. You don't just form community by putting people on a basketball court. You form community by having them win together, lose together, hmm. get mad at each other, love each other. Like then you have a shared experience, which forms community. And then you're Love super it. loyal to that team, super loyal to those people. So apply the same strategy to your community. Like if I was just like, Hey, come over, there's going to be other people. Well, what are we going to do? Like, I barely even know you. What, like if you're like, Hey, I'm reading this really interesting book. And I know that you love the topic of this book. And by reading this book, we're going to learn how X, Y, or Z works. Oh, that sounds really great. I, I really want to read this book. You get other people to read it. You have a book club. 
oftentimes the, the book club stays together, not because of the quality of the book, which initially attracted you in, but it's the shared experience you had with the people there. Now you want to mm. keep doing the book club. So again, acquisition and retention should have different strategies. I think acquisition leads with a clear value, typically content or skill or template uh, strategy. And then com uh, communities on the retention side. I love that. You know, I'm, I'm learning a lot, Kyle. I think I, I didn't expect this. I was actually kind of like, want to learn how you think about community at morning brew, but this is very technical and, you know, uh, we're going to put every, every show notes in, in everything you mentioned in the show notes as well. Love it. So a couple of things. One is, so you did mention and everybody n know that morning brew has an audience over like what, 4 million, if I'm not wrong for the newsletter, for the main newsletter. Yeah, the, the daily newsletter has about 4.5, I believe. And then we have a suite of what we call professional newsletters. Those are HR brew, marketing brew. They're more targeted at roles or functions. And those have in the hundreds of thousands. So how do you, uh, I think the question is, you have a bigger audience. You also have like a, like a high quality community for these courses, right? Yeah. And... What are some things that you do smartly that you rely on the audience as well as sometimes audience, the newsletter rely on the community? What is the, that cross-functional hmm. uh, strategy that you use at Morning Brew that you want to share? That's a really thoughtful question. So uh, I'll give you a few answers. I think one, you know, viewing your audience as top of funnel for community is kind of the classic tried and true tested method. Mm -hmm. So you know, Morning Brew's been shipping this newsletter for eight years now or whatever it has been. So we have a lot of, we have a large audience and that our audience trusts us. And so mm -hmm. it's likely if we're like, hey, you've, you've read about Morning Brew, you clearly care about what's in the news, you want to become a better learner. And now we have this course, give us a chance to prove our mettle to you. That's exactly mm -hmm. what we did when we launched the Accelerator program. Like more, no one was reading Morning Brew being like, this is an ed tech company. They were reading because they wanted to know what happened yesterday in a fun, smart, witty way. Right, but right. they trusted us and they, hey, okay, I can see it. If these people are really good at synthesizing complex ideas and giving it to me in digestible bits, they're probably good at synthesizing complex business topics or business skills and giving mm -hmm. it to me in digestible bits. So they're willing to take a chance on you. So, you know, your audience is top of funnel for a community is, is very, very effective. That's mm -hmm. what we've been doing for the two years we've existed. Mm -hmm. Then once you have this community, what is so cool is like, when you're reading a newsletter, you don't really know the people. I think that is why a lot of the newsletter writers have mm. great Twitter accounts because people love knowing like who's running this. We really love people and we don't necessarily love brands as much. And so the more you can put people in front as representatives of the brand, I think you're going to have a lot of success. What community does is really allows people to like meet Morning Brew. They're meeting me. They're meeting the two other great mm. community managers we have on our team. They're meeting our great content team. Like they're meeting a lot of people in the ecosystem. We also do lunch and learns. We're Austin, Alex, Karen, Christina, our mm -hmm. director of strategy mm -hmm. and ops. Like they're getting to know the brew crew, so to speak. And I think mm. that even that just doubles and triples the affinity you have for the brand. Like, wow, I love this brand because they were giving so much value in the newsletter. Now I've got to meet them, interact with them, learn from them, know them as people. Like I'm never quitting morning brew. So it is a way to really like go deeper in that relationship from audience to community. And now when I go on like a podcast, for example, like I get a bunch of messages from people that took our courses. Like I loved you on the, on the podcast. I'm so excited to listen to it. So you create this mm. flywheel where the community right. is now subscribing to new products and listening to podcasts. And it, it can be, if done well, a very symbiotic relationship. Uh, yeah, it's so clever and smart. That's why I was like very curious how you actually, you know, strategize audience and community 
and that's clever right like there you build like this flywheel that works for yourself like you know yes. no matter like you know who operates it uh what is it like working with alex and austin like you know uh, do you guys have like chats and how do like how do they think about community what are some takeaways yeah. that you want to share Again, I, I don't want to gas myself up. I think I have a strong working relationship with both, but I, I wouldn't say like, oh yeah, me and Alex and Austin are best friends. We're hanging out on rooftops, like <laughs> drinking beers. Like I, I have incredible respect for them professionally. I like what I've seen from them personally, but you know, we're, we're, we're very close colleagues, but I wouldn't say we're like, you know, that deep. So I don't want to speak out of turn and say, I, I know these people more than I actually do. I've mm. had the real opportunity to work with really mainly Alex at the start when he was still CEO. He, he was pretty mm-hmm. hands-on in, in building the course. I think Alex is a fantastic idea generator. He's a fantastic mm-hmm. salesperson. I would consider him like a kind of the visionary leadership type. Mm-hmm. Like he can paint really vivid pictures. He has energy. He can do sales. He has a million ideas uh, and he will just like knock down any door to make them happen. And so that's something mm-hmm. I've learned from Alex. Like that energy, that vision is really, really mm-hmm. important. Austin, I would say, is like a much more strategic operational leader. At least this is what I've learned from him. And, and I think mm-hmm. he's one of the best media operators out there. And I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think he ha- he is necessarily this like gregarious, louder than larger than life, like outspoken, like visionary, big vision leader. And this is not right. an insult at all. Like he's just really understands the business. He asks right. incredibly thoughtful questions. He's incredibly smart. And he understands mm-hmm. the levers you need to pull as a CEO of a media company to make products work or not. And he mm-hmm. holds people to account. And he's inst- he's created a really great process that I think's taken us from a product or a multi-product company to this quote-unquote media empire, like you said. Mm-hmm. Austin is really fantastic with that stuff. And I've learned so much from him. I, I have nothing but respect for, for both of them. They both gave me an incredible opportunity. Um, and, and it's been a joy to learn what I can from them in, in the meetings I've had and just watching them operate this business. So they're both fantastic operators and, and obviously built an incredible brand. And then I will say like, it's not just Austin and Alex, like any team. And mm-hmm. I think they are really wonderful at this. Like they hire really great people mm-hmm. and then they kind of get out of their way. Like, like anyone, right. like if you're a manager, if you're a director, if you're a VP, your goal is kind of like put yourself out of work, like hire the people that are better at you than the thing you mm. might have to do now. They come in, you train them, you create a great environment for them. They operate that, you kind of move up and that's how you can scale up your career. And I think they're really thoughtful about hiring very smart people and then supporting right. them, but getting out of their way because they know what they're doing. Mm, I love that. Yeah, I think you know all successful companies have A players, right? Like uh, I think the biggest, I think 90% job is to hire and bring right like-minded people and the right people and you step away because they <laughs> they build for you it's uh, it's hiring is really hard too like i've, I've had limited okay. exposure to it this early in my career but yeah it, it, it's really hard i think we've done a great job on our team like I, I love the people i work with and if if i can just bring one more framework because you know we're tactical and we like yeah, talking yeah. about frameworks so yeah, 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 when, I was, when, when i was working with chuck uh he he was the innovator in residence former ceo uh-huh. of Cree. He had this, he wrote a great book called The Innovator Spirit, uh, but he had a framework called UFO Test that he would do for everyone he was hiring. At a, and he okay. was hiring for innovation. So this might not work for like managers or mm. like, hey, we have this thing, just make sure it doesn't blow up. He was hiring for innovation. I want to copy at that. It was the mm. UFO test, uncertainty, failure, and ownership. 
He would not hire anyone to do innovation if they didn't qualify themselves and the UFO. So uncertainty was like, Mm. how do you feel about uncertainty? Like, Mm. like people don't like change. Like, tell me a time where you like brought on Mm. change. You embraced uncertainty, like, cause it's going to be very ambiguous. You're not going to know, you know, you're not going to have all the constraints you need. Like, how do you manage uncertainty? Then he would talk about failure and he would say, tell me a time that you failed. And Mm. really what he was looking for is like, some people just don't want to talk about failures. Some people have a hard time identifying where they failed. He wanted Mm. people that could say, this is where I failed. This is what I learned. And this is what I did after. Because if you're trying to innovate, you're going to have a million bad ideas until you have one really good one. And you have to keep going. You have to learn from failures. I'm a big believer that like, you don't learn by doing, you learn by doing plus reflection equals growth experience plus reflection equals growth. And then you would have the O, which was ownership. Do that. you think that you're like an owner of this business unit? And he was interviewing mm. the chief marketing officer of, of Kodak for a role at Cree oh. and uh-huh. Kodak, as you all knew, like it blew yeah. up, it failed. And yeah. he asked her, why did you let the company fail? And she was right away was like offended. Like, well, I was just, I was the chief marketer. I, it wasn't my, like, I didn't let the company mm. fail. Like it just failed. And he's like, well, you were the chief marketer, right? Yeah. Uh, you were on senior leadership, right? You, the, the CEO listened to you. Yeah. Why'd you let it fail then? Like that, the ownership. Mm. And, you know, I think eventually she understood and she did go to work for him and they, they had a great time together. But it, the point of that question is like, sometimes to make something work, you have to view it as like, I am the CEO of this company. I am the founder of this business unit. I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if it's outside of my job description. I'm going to say the thing that needs to be said because we need this to work. If you have a bunch of people that really want something to succeed, are owners of that product, it increases your chances of that succeeding 100x. If you have people saying, I could do that, it probably would work, but I don't want to, it's not my job, it's probably going to fail. And and I've always Mm -hmm. loved that test. Yeah, I love that, man. Wow. I will definitely keep in mind, like, you know, when it comes to hiring, I want to definitely use the UFO method. (laughs) Yes, use the UFO test, man. Thanks for dropping that. Uh, So talk to me about, like, you know, you've built a lot of programs at Morning Brew, uh, the accelerator to learning, you know, module, like building a lot of courses. Yep. Where do community builders stumble when they build these programs, right? Like, in everybody aims to making make them successful and in in the path of making them successful they make a lot of mistakes and what do you observe or what are, what are kind of some mistakes you made in at morning brew like building these programs and that you learned and like you know kind of implemented yeah. in the next step it's a really great question and, and and i'll i'll talk about like failures i had to to answer the f test here for 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 chuck and i think they're hopefully instructive for any other community builders I think the first failure is we, so we had these accelerators, we're just, which were just eight week programs. And now we have sprints, which are one week programs. We've mm-hmm. actually sunset the accelerator. So we're not running eight week programs anymore. A mm-hmm. failure I think I had was I built something that I really wanted. And sometimes that works. Like mm-hmm. sometimes you build for yourself and you find other people that are like-minded. Um, but I think in this case, I could have done, or we could have done a better job really understanding like what does the morning brew audience want and what we came to learn, these courses scored tremendously well, but Mm -hmm. eight weeks was a long time for people to commit to a pretty intensive program. It's all virtual. We're throwing a lot at them. The price point wasn't what the the price point that morning brew audience who is used to a free product from us was really Mm -hmm. willing to give us in a sustainable fashion. And so 
sometimes you have to kind of put your own like thoughts aside and be like, what does the audience I'm building for want? Again, don't make yourself the star, make yourself the architect, like Mm. listen to the community and build the building they want. And so that I think was one failure, uh, that, that, that I had, or we had early, uh, in the Mm. experience, but we learned from that and we've moved on. Um, the, the other, I think failure I would say is the three E's and Mm. these three E's, I'll give you another framework that I love. It's environment expectations and examples. If your community is failing, I think it's failing one or more of these E's. The environment Mm -hmm. is going back to this building. Have you created an environment that is intuitive? They come to your course. They know what they're going to learn. They walk into your digital Slack, your digital Discord. They understand why they're there. Is the environment one that they like, the ambiance, the vibe, so to speak? Mm -hmm. Is it something that people gravitate towards? Like, Have you just got the basics down? Like, Have you created the building? And it's clear what the purpose is for. Have you created the right environment? The Mm. second is expectations. I think people do a very bad job and maybe I did early on, but I've learned from it, setting expectations for what this community is all about, what you're going to accomplish, what is expected and what isn't. And I'll, I'll, I'll give an event for an example. I think we run the best events in the business because we're crystal clear on expectations. We Mm. start every event. We have like uh, uh, a music playing. People come in, they're, they're hyped up. We set expectations early. Hey, this is going to be an interactive event. We all want to be using the chat. We pride ourselves on having the most fun chat. The expectation mm-hmm. is you're using that during the conversation. And to get warmed up, I want you to go to the chat and I want you to mm-hmm. tell me what you're looking forward to most this weekend. So you're like setting expectations mm-hmm. crystal clear from the start and you're giving them a chance to kind of wade into those expectations easily. Also, uh, one of the things that drives me wild for events is when people are like, so we'll take questions from the audience. So like throw them in the chat or raise your hand or go off mute, like just do whatever. Then people are very unclear. Like, well, what Mm. am I supposed to do? Do I put in the chat? I'm not comfortable Mm. raising my hand if other people do it. So we will say we're now taking questions. Here's how this is going to work. You go to Zoom Mm. React, you click raise hand, you'll get queued up. We can queue up as many as you want. And we're only taking questions through that channel. It is a constraint, but constraints are often Mm. good and we can have a whole topic on that, but setting clear expectations so people know what to do. If you're not setting clear expectations, that might be a reason your community is not doing well. The third is examples. When Mm. people act in a way that you like to see them act in your community, are you highlighting that? Are you spotlighting those people? If you're not giving clear examples of like, hey, Shroth did this, Shroth, shout out to you. That was a great post. I love that you included the hyperlink to the website, mm-hmm. and you had a personal anecdote. I love that. People aren't dumb. If they're like, dude, Shroth's getting credit for doing X, I'm going to start doing X because mm-hmm. it's clear that's what we want. And so highlighting positive behavior goes a long way of just saying yeah. like, hey, this is what we what we expect. So environment, expectations, and examples, the three E's of community building, if you will, check on those if your community is struggling and figure out which one you're doing the worst on and fix that immediately. I would say that's like a health check for every community, right? Yeah, I love that. Every now and then you have to do like a health check with these three E's. I love it so much. And I want to like add a couple of things on the expectation bit. I feel when you onboard people and you really set expectations that, hey, we don't need 24 hours of your time. Like time is really essential, right? Like that's something I learned as well in, in building these communities. Just let them know, hey, drop by whenever you can. If you have five minutes and if you find something interesting, drop it. And I think having that low 
setting that expectation so low makes them come back so often because it's we, if we ask like to post once in a month that's like nothing right mm-hmm. like you know in terms of engagement and whatnot and on, on top of it i think the the last e championing community members is man i think that's that's something everybody needs to do by default right like if you know praise praise the community positively let others know that if you know someone is like doing a great job because it it right. actually reflects it reflects like that ted lasso thing like you basically bring every bring everybody together like you know in a very positive way and which will eventually you know add up to that environment like oh this is so happening you know yep. i would love to be part of this community Thanks, that's Bala. so awesome I, i i love that this is the the health check i would say like the health check framework a uh, couple of more questions before we wrap up one is so you you've also t- touched upon like managing teams like community teams right yep so for for hooks who are listening uh or founders like you know managing community team members not actually the community what are some tips that you <laughs> that you give all like how do you set like do you set uh like goals like what what's your way of working as a team I literally could talk about this topic for one week. And in fact, that's exactly why we built new manager bootcamp. Like we have a course that goes into like, if you're a new manager or you're an IC that wants to become a new manager, I geek out on this topic. I'm, right. I love it. So like check out that course series is fantastic, but I'll, I'll, I'll give some high level thoughts. One, I think, You, you should read a lot. I, I think like, you know, to bring out scholastic book fair readers or leaders, there's some great books like primal leadership uh, by Daniel Goleman, scaling people by Claire Hughes Johnson, radical mm. candor by Kim Scott that I've talked to the five dysfunctions of a team. Like there's some great r- reads out there that are going to give you some frameworks that you can really play with. I, I like uh, primal leadership. They talk, they say the number one job of a leader is to create emotional resonance with your team. You want people mm. to be in a positive clear state of what they need to do you want to give them energy so they can actually go out and do the tasks uh, I, i love that definition uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like some more concrete stuff that that new managers can do i'm a big believer i think community kind of can be like this ephemeral like oh we're all happy all the time and we don't need meetings and we just kind of go with vibes like no you're gonna fail what well, you do need structure it's a business unit it's absolutely. a team it needs structure it needs examples it needs environment it needs expectations right. and so we run a, i think a really tight ship on the community team we have a, a standard process that we go through the week monday we have a weekly sync where we list mm. in these categories all the tasks we're going to complete this week we answer any mm. questions that people have before the week we start the week with that Then we have mm. the one-on-ones, which are, you know, should be in every manager's toolkit where you're having a one-on-one. We have great templates and uh, for these in the course, but you should have a one-on-one mm. in order to uh, mm. understand how that person is as a person, right? If the more you can show that you care about them personally, the more you can be direct. It's going back to that radical candor framework. So having effective one-on-ones mm-hmm. is huge. Mm-hmm. Then we do an end of week sync on Friday where we, okay, how many tasks did we complete this week that we said we were going to do on Monday? You want to hit about right. 85%. If you're hitting 100, you weren't ambitious enough. If you're hitting 50, mm-hmm. you're too ambitious. Mm-hmm. And then we do a, a long-term strategy meeting about bi-weekly. The long-term mm-hmm. strategy stuff is you're ov- oftentimes so stuck in the weeds and you can get so tunnel vision on what you're doing now. Right. You need right. time to think like, what's a big problem that we're going to face and how can we how can we solve that challenge? Give your team some time to step back. Um, I could go on about how to run effective brainstorming sessions as well. Um, right. But I, I think having structure and making that very clear for people 
strategy. It, it yeah. is so powerful. And, and you should doing that, whether you're managing a community team or not. Um, those are the things that really, really resonate, I think, with um, with new managers or managers in general. The last thing I'll say is Scaling People by Claire Hughes Johnson. It's a great book. She says, self-awareness leads to team awareness. And mm, I really think wow. this is cool. If you're that. a manager, you have a great opportunity not to learn about your team or only your team, but to learn about yourself. It's a really cool position you're in. And you learn a lot about yourself through your relation with others. So you're kind of every day getting to, to figure out things about yourself, what you like, how you respond to certain situations. It's a, it's a really great learning curve. And, and, and I really encourage you to also take like strengths finder, take Myers Briggs. They're not, mm -hmm. some are more scientific than others. I'm not saying they're scientific. I'm not saying they're foolproof, <laughs> but what you're looking for is patterns. If you take six of these tests and you're like, wow, like, I keep seeing like this innovative thing coming up. Like I, I do have this sense for like thinking big picture. Like how do I put myself in situations where that's a strength? And then sometimes mm. it's like, you know, in all these tests, it says I'm pretty like conflict avoidant and you know, upon reflection, maybe I am. And maybe I need to practice on how to have difficult conversations at work to embrace mm. the brutal truth a little more, to be radically candid because that's holding me back in my career. So you have an awesome opportunity to learn about yourself, which is also one of the most rewarding things you can do is like, have a better relationship with yourself, figure out how you think, yep. how you operate. Um, and, and I love that as well. So that that's high level advice for some new managers. Yeah, we will definitely going to add the managers bootcamp to the show notes, like for, yes, please for do, like, you know, figuring out, yeah, we'll, 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 you know, we'll amplify as much as we can. Those are great tips. I feel like, uh, I really, really loved the quote, like, you know, self-awareness leads to team awareness. That is yes. so true. Like if you're so clear about what you want to do, you will talk in clarity with your team, right? And yes. you, you'll get so many ideas, like, you know, the, the daily or weekly sink-ins, like what you said, uh, everything kind of like, you know, comes to you, right? Couple of questions. Uh, what's next for Morning Brew Learning? Like, is there anything that's cooking that you want to share with us uh, apart from the, the manager's bootcamp that you're already working on? Yeah. So what's next is right now we have nine available sprints. They're one week courses. They're $249. Some are on demand. Some are, all of them are live. Some are on demand. Uh, they're one week and you're going to walk away with a tactical skill that is relevant to your career. So uh, we just launched a bunch of new ones. So, and we're constantly doing that. So that's what's coming down the, the, the pike there. And then I think in general, we're always thinking about how to uh, kind of create like a, all, all inclusive like pass or membership mm. model where instead of taking yeah. one-off courses, one purchase at a time, you can take, you can buy a year subscription. You can get all of the courses, all of these community right. elements. We bring in great guest speakers. We do coffee chats. We do speed networking, which sounds boring as hell, but I swear we have created <laughs> fun right. virtual speed networking. It seems impossible. We pulled it off. So kind of right. putting all of that together under a membership model, I'm really excited about. We're working mm. on that. And, and I think you'll hear more about that soon from Morning Brew Learning. Awesome. And I think you seem to have a lot of grip on books, right? Like <laughs> even most of your tweets, like you, you summarize the thing you read, like, you know, recently and whatnot. So if you were to, this is like the last question I want to like, you know, on that high note, I want to end this, but would love to hear some recommendations from you uh, for community builders. These are the books not just about community, but just in general leadership. Like these are must haves in your, like, you know, in your yeah. bookshelf. Oh dude, I, I love this question. I, I, I love reading. I think it's also like only child vibes where it's like, <laughs> uh, no one's here to hang out. So to crack Books open this book. Friends. 
Yeah, books are my friends. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I think one, my general advice is like, if you really work in business, read a book that isn't business related. I actually think the most innovative thinkers are oh. reading from a wide palette of authors. Mm. You know, one of the core concepts of innovation is applying analogies across domains. So you learn mm. what a welder is doing and then you're like, wow, I could use this weird little thing I learned over here in my manufacturing plant, or That's I learned what HubSpot does from a SaaS perspective. And, oh, that would be a really interesting thing I could use in my community. So I think right. the most innovative leaders apply analogies across domains. So read books that like aren't necessarily relevant to your line of work. So I'll give you two book recommendations. One that's definitely not relevant to community building. I'm reading this book called The Tycoons, which is all about uh, Gilded Age, post-Civil War America. It's about Carnegie, Rockefeller, Gould, and J.P. Morgan, how they invented the wow. American super economy. It's super interesting. It, uh, it, it kind of goes in depth on, on who they are as people. There's, mm. you know, there's some business advice, but there's also just like how America transformed uh, from you know right. pre-industrialization to post-industrialization super super interesting and then my all-time favorite book that i recommend to every single person i talk to is range by david epstein this is my mm. bible uh the tagline is how generalists will triumph in a world full of specialists that tagline it's clickbait like you know e e there's a big topic about generalists and specialists but the book itself is so well written it's so well researched it's really easy to read, but I've learned I could do, we could do another hour on this book uh, alone. But I think again, one of my big takeaways from this book, I'll leave with this takeaway is we often think that in order to become great at X, we just have to do X a lot. It's the 10,000 hours, Malcolm mm -hmm. Gladwell strategy. You want to get good at right. X, do 10,000 hours of X. What range kind of articulates is that isn't necessarily the case. And in fact, it might be a it might be more beneficial if you want to get good at X to definitely do X, but to do Y and Z and A and B as well. And the mm. best performers, the best CEOs, oftentimes early in their career, they're not exploiting. They're not like doing one thing repeatedly. They're exploring. They're, they're mm. getting a sample and then, then they do eventually, you know, focus, but that ability to take these concepts you've learned over here and apply them over there. Again, going back to innovation is so important. And I think everyone can benefit from widening their scope on occasion, having new experiences, reading books you wouldn't mm -hmm. normally read, studying businesses that aren't relevant to yours. That's where you're going to uncover quote unquote alpha that you can apply to your business as well. So range by David Epstein is my number one book rec. Yeah. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes, but what, what a, what a, unconventional advice right there like usually like when you want to expert become an expert at one thing you tend to get attracted to certain books who are all also talks about that expertise right that's so counterintuitive and i would i actually like you know i'm fascinated by that man you know kyle we can go on and on i feel <laughs> like you know as as you being the podcaster man you deliver like you know all all punchy valuable like insights like for every answer and i'm so grateful that i'm so glad that i cold dm'd you because yes without that this would have not happened so uh thank you for taking time and coming on the podcast and delivering such an insightful conversation i, I learned a ton I, I i don't know like i took so much of the notes like you know talking to I you and it. uh this this has been so fun so far well uh, 
look, it's right back at you. This was a really fun conversation. I'm really glad, like you, like you said, one cold DM, you, you leverage the power of serendipity of network. So shout out right. to you. Also, you're like crushing on Twitter. So you cold DM me. I'm like, oh shit, I got to respond. This guy, this guy's the OG of Twitter. Um, but I, but I, I do generally want to say like, congratulations. I, I think like I was saying before it, it people you know rip on podcasts or like oh there's too many podcasts it takes a lot of work to run a podcast mm -hmm. it takes a lot of work a lot of prep and um it, it's no small feat and so congratulations for what you're doing and this was a lovely conversation you clearly did your research and i'm really glad we got to hang out and get to know each other and uh, i'm looking forward to growing the relationship absolutely man like that that's what that's what the intention is forget about the business side you know that comes later it's about people building these small you know relationships and like Hopefully, you know, uh, we want to last forever and uh, bringing these insights to to others so that we can inspire one person. That's the goal. Like, exactly. You know, I move, love move it. One, one, one person at a time. Uh, any closing thoughts before we wrap up? No, 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 no closing thoughts. I would say, um, you know, everyone, thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to me, Kyle at morningbrew.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not on threads. So sorry, Mark uh, Zuckerberg, <laughs> but um, I, I'm just done with social. I got Twitter and LinkedIn and that's all I need. But seriously, reach out. I'd love to hear what you thought about the episode or just connect. So Kyle at morningbrew.com. Absolutely. I will, will include all that in show notes. And thanks, Kyle. Grateful for you. Grateful for this conversation. And see you guys in the next episode. Thank you, guys. Later. Thank you.